And welcome to the New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me in the actual flesh today, we have one Mr. Martin Theobald. Yup. And digitally joining us from a phone line. <laughs> from the bunker. <laughs> yeah. yeah. From parts unknown. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Terry Japandama. How are you doing, Terry? Good evening, guys. I'm okay. Unfortunately... Uh, issues with the trains mean that no one's getting anywhere up north anytime soon. Nationalise it, man. <laughs> yes, I agree. But enough of this. This is now the renationalisation of the Railway Podcast. Um, I'm sure everyone will be much, much relieved to hear that. <laughs> we, we don't be talking about <clears throat> boxing anymore. Has anyone done anything exciting this weekend? I dressed up as Jeremy Corbyn and went on a rally for uh, yeah. the whole weekend mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. just to talk about nationalisation and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see his face. <laughs> <laughs> it it looks so... like Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> Apparently you're more popular than the real Corbyn now. Am I? He needs to go back to Glastonbury, yeah. doesn't he? They've got a year off. <laughs> Yeah, they worked. Labour worked it absolutely wonderfully. They had the peak, at the peak of their powers about three months after the general election. Perfect timing. <laughs> we can win a general election. Just it just got to wait five years. Everyone, just remember you want to vote for Labour for five years, okay? Just remember who Storms is. <laughs> just remember who Storms is. Fucking idiots. Get in touch with Daily Star. See how long they can keep their hands off their women for. They can do that for five years. <laughs> Stop downloading porn onto work laptops as well. No, never. Okay, I suppose we give us get into it then. The boxing and stuff. Let's roll. We got loads of questions, didn't we? We have, uh, yes, lots and lots of questions. A record. I'm hoping I haven't scanned for every single one of them, but I have seen some of them, and they all some of them look like they're repeating themselves. So well done, everyone, for getting your heads together and uh, just sending in duplicate <laughs> questions. <laughs> I don't want to complain too much, but what's the point of three of you sending in the same question? You know, if you just talk beforehand. <laughs> right, so we started by telling people off. Yeah. Um, right, we were sitting down listening. Let's start off then with Jamie McDonnell versus Liberio Solis. The fight we've waited a year for. So uh, have we? I mean, I mean, yes, of course. Yeah, we have. yeah. I, I say waited. Nobody's cared really. Like it's oh, not good. as if there's been public <laughs> outcry. It's not been like Glastonbury with Stormzy and Corbyn. <laughs> it's um, the poor Jamie McDonald's been left on the shelf by Hearn. Um, this fight happened this time last year over in Monaco. They returned to Monaco. I don't know if like Jamie McDonald's bothered coming home. Was he just stuck it out over there for uh, for twelve months? Um, why not it's a cheap place to live yeah yeah brilliantly cheap so I hear Mm. Um, yeah and it goes two rounds and there's an accidental cut and it all gets ended so (laughs) done nothing with Jamie McDonnell for the last 12 months he goes in gets a cut fight gets ended technical draw whatever they call it no decision it's all void 
Right, yeah, so explain that to me. That's Isn't that if, if, if the match ends before three rounds, is it? Or is there no specific line? Where's a technical draw and where's a... Oh. Uh, is it before four rounds or three rounds? I can never remember which it is. Terry. I think it's under, any. It's four rounds and under. Yeah. So that happened. The fight, it, it was a bit of a soft one to me. Like It didn't look like um, a fight. It wasn't in, impinging impinging upon his vision um well, it didn't look like it anyway and mcdonald seemed fine afterwards in the uh, the interviews but it was just it, i don't know <laughs> i wouldn't have stopped it personally if i'm the ref but then i don't really care about jamie mcdonald because eddie hearn doesn't care about jamie mcdonald so it's very difficult for us as fans to buy into it when the only time that he gets a run out his last two fights have been over in monaco it really like those those shows are dreadful looking uh, they look like a, a working men's club that's been doled up for the evening, like really posh-looking venue. No atmosphere, though. It um, looks like it's about a scene from Towie is about to start. It looks something. Like it looks that. like your call on roids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a really straight. You can't, I was watching it with a mate, and he went, "Oh, what the fuck is that venue? No one's there." And that's that's the weird part about it. Like watching an event. A, a live sporting event it's about as much as trying to trying to savour the atmosphere through your TV as it is about actually watching a sporting event yeah you're not going to get out there no. Um, no, no but yeah it's all funded through the casinos over in Monaco so that's why they go there once a year um, but yeah there's nothing really to say about a Jane McDonald fight because there's no not even a decision to talk about excellent um, so I take it you're happy to just uh, not come in on that one then Terry um, you, you know my view on the 50-something kilo brigade, so probably not. <laughs> I would say you got to feel for Jamie McDonald. He's the sort of guy, like, you know when you go to the pub sometimes and you're sat next to an attractive lady and you need to go to the loo? So you get up and you come back and someone else is sat in your seat and seems to be getting on with her better than you were. And I think that's Jamie McDonald and Ryan Burnett at the moment. <laughs> like, he's just looking on enviously going, that was my seat. And Ryan's like, too late. <laughs> okay. I love the parallels you draw, Terry. Um, okay, Scott Quigg. And this will be an interesting one for me to pronounce. He fought, he said fluidly, Yefimovic, which is clearly exactly how he says it when he goes to the bank. What's your name? Mr. Yefimovic. <laughs> um, what can you tell us about this fight, Martin? Scott Quigg hasn't changed. Scott Quigg has been over with Freddie Roach now in America. There's a couple of questions about this with Freddie Roach and the uh, the approach now of Scott Quigg, which I'm just giving Andy a prompt on so that he might find him. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's now looking. Nah, he's not going to bother. Don't worry about it. <laughs> of course, yes. I'm um, just getting to that. But look, Scott Quigg is a tough little man um, who walks forward a lot. He hasn't really changed since Joe Gallagher. <laughs> He's a tough little man who walks forward a lot. But that's it. Like he's not. He's got no particular boxing brain about him. He's got no ability to adapt during a fight. He's got no ability to do anything really other than walk forward and throw big shots. How this was a world title eliminator was beyond me. Um, right. So Jesse Jet, Jesse Jet talking asks, how high is Scott Quigg on Freddie Roach's priority list? Well, it depends which version you listen to around this. I think, uh, wasn't Freddie Roach out with uh, George St. Pierre for the UFC fight last night, I believe? Um, 
Well, well done if he, if he was. Yeah, which George Simbier won, so <laughs> it's <Yeah>. more worthwhile. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame him, but how high is he on the priority list? He can't be anywhere at all. When he's got Cotto, he's got Pacquiao, if he's working with George Simbier. Like, why would you come over to Monaco for Scott Quigg to fight a fight that he clearly didn't need him there for? Because this guy was atrocious that he was fighting against. It genuinely shocked me, because I didn't realise this before the fight, that it was a world title eliminator. Like, when I was watching it, they mentioned it, I don't know, round three, round four or something. And I was surprised, because it was just, it was a standard Hearn matchup, whereby Scott Quigg was clearly too good for this opponent. And then they dropped in the fact that it's a world title eliminator. But was it an eliminator or was it an eliminator? It's an eliminator. It's not a final eliminator. <laughs> yeah. It's not a final, final eliminator. So uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that he goes on and his it, next fight. And is fight. it for like, oh, and finally, after three eliminators, he's lining up for the WBA silver diamond back no, no, flip-flop belt. It, you know. It's a legit one, but I say right. it's not a final eliminator by okay. any means. But how high, just not highly at all, but... Based on last night, would you put him any higher? Not really. He didn't show us anything that he wasn't doing under Joe Gallagher. Um, and so he walks into space an awful lot and then throws. He throws an awful lot of shots. He's actually not that that bad to watch, Scott Quigg, because he's always he's throwing with spite and he's throwing with intent. It's just that the moment we saw it with Frampton, the moment that somebody has a boxing ability that's more than just the basics, he struggles with it. And if somebody moves out of the way, he struggles with it. Um I just think Selby would have a field day with him. Him versus Warrington would just look like if you had two monster trucks and you <laughs> shrunk them down to featherweight monster trucks. <laughs> Feather trucks, right? So like those little go-karts that children wheel with pedals. Yeah, like remote control cars. That's what it's going to look like. It's just two guys going head on into each other uh, and just throwing shots down the middle until someone runs out of batteries and stops. That's basically if we end up with Quig versus Warrington one day. Terry, did you watch Scott Quig? I never watched Scott Quig. After that (laughs) Frampton fight, I refused to watch him because he became irrelevant. Guys, you have to forgive my washing machines going mental in the background. Um, (laughs) I'm glad you're getting up to date with your washing, though. That's impressive. Are you doing colours? I just mix them. Do you? Uh, you Oh, no. You're a rogue. I'm all about diversity. I'm against segregation. I'm not going down that path. Um, Paul, yeah, man. Paul, the, rain, the rainbow drum. Don't worry about it. It's all good. <laughs> Paul Altai Scott, asks... Um, Scott, Scott Quigg. No, no, wait, wait. Let's touch, touch on Scott Quigg. Because but, nothing ever changes, right? Scott Quigg is the kind of guy, if you saw him pushing a trolley, you'd call the police because you'd be worried about his well-being. You wouldn't know what he'd do to that shopping trolley. The guy's just not all there. So... There's a video on social media circulating of, of Miguel Cosso basically trying to explain to Scott Quigg, yep. look, if you want to dig someone to the body, you use your left hand to pull the elbow out first, then whack it in there. And it, <laughs> Scott Quigg tried it. And I swear he threw a left hook to the head or something stupid like that. He just couldn't get the most basic concept that Miguel Cosso was trying to show him. And then you think, mate, you're wasting your time with Freddie Roach. You can't understand these basics. Let's go back to Joe. Yep. Right, so Paul Altai asks, can you see any improvement in Quig since joining Roach? <laughs> so maybe we've pissed on the bonfire a little bit. No, but... there's nothing. It's the same fighter that left Manchester and went over to uh, Freddie Roach's gym. There's nothing that we're seeing that is different. Um, and I don't think you're going to see it now. Because what is he, late 20s? 
you know, to change that style, that fundamental. He's been in boxing gyms and he was kickboxing from the age of like 13, 14 when he dropped out of school. You're not going to see a different Scott Quigg now. But, uh, but that hasn't stopped fighters like um, David Hay changing trainers really late. You can change trainers all you want. He could change trainer every week, but he's still not going to be any different than what, you know, because he's got those core fundamentals drilled into him from such a young age that now, you know, he's not going to improve out of it. See, the thing about Freddie Roach, I keep saying this to people, Freddie Roach is what I call a finisher. So Roach will never take a guy from zero and make him into a champion. I don't think he's got that sort of attention span. He doesn't really care about that. But Roach will take someone who's probably stalled with another trainer and he'll give you some of these ideas, some of these small, clever tactics that he learned from guys like Eddie Fudge, you know, some of the lost arts of boxing. And he'll, he'll impart those into you. That's how he was able to prolong Pacquiao because he can solve really high level problems, but he doesn't really like doing the low level stuff. So you have to go there with a certain level of skill. Miguel Cotto thrives under Freddie Roach because he gets boxing. Um, all these guys that go to Freddie Roach, when James Tony was with Freddie Roach, he thrived because James Tony understands boxing. Scott Quick doesn't understand his own reflection. So it was always going to be a bit of a hard sell for him to succeed with Freddie Roach. And what you will find is Roach will give him all the ideas in the world, much like he did with Amir Khan, and none of them will sink in because British boxing doesn't teach you to understand the sport of boxing. So expect to see Scott Quick back at some point with, I imagine, Jamie Moore or someone from that camp? Um, just to go backwards before I go forwards, given I'm so organised that I now will have to ask a question about Jamie McDonald. Uh, Jamie McDonald, sorry. Uh, Kev Morrow asks, is Jamie McDonald the most mismanaged slash promoted fighter in the country? And then he goes on to say, Terry will probably say it's Isaac Chamberlain. Um, is Isaac Chamberlain the most mismanaged no, he's been cruelly managed. Well, I can't say he's been mismanaged. He's been mispromoted. Um, his management isn't down to Eddie Hearn. So, well, but, but what about what about um, Jamie McDonald? Do you think Jamie McDonald's been more mismanaged or more underpromoted than Isaac Chamberlain? Do what, so, so if you go back to when McDonald was, he was under Dennis Hobson before, and Hobson wasn't a company man for anyone because he's his own man. He's a successful businessman. So. He would do what he thought was right boxing-wise. He's now being managed by, I imagine it's Dave Caldwell managing him. And Dave's a sky man, and he's got other irons in the fire. So he can't necessarily push hard for Jamie McDonald because then you're like, well, I don't want to piss Eddie off because I've still got Fowler I need to get over the line, and I've got Bellew I need to get over the line, and a couple of young prospects I'm building. So Jamie would be better off going to someone who has a degree of independence and will fight his corner. You look at someone like Buglioni with, sorry, Bumglioni with <laughs> Steve Goodwin. Wow, that's really Steve- clever. Oh, genius. <laughs> I just love that word. Um, but look, someone like a Steve Goodwin. No axe to grind. He does the, the percentage he gets off a box is almost irrelevant to him. So he will do what he thinks is right. And that's the sort of man you need in your corner. And I don't think Jamie's got one at the moment, but that's his own fault because he had one and he chose to go in another direction. Um, right. Are we, we've said enough about Scott Quigg. You don't oh, want... We've said too much. <laughs> right. So I want to touch briefly on Harlem Eubank turning up last <laughs> night at Monaco because we have a question about it. Robert Martin asks, 
Why is Harlem Eubank given priority over better matchroom fighters? He got walked out by Eddie at the Next Gen show, and now he's in Monaco. Pass. I've no idea. Um, that's, the, that's the price you pay when you realise you want your boxers to train with Adam Booth. Adam Booth basically says, you treat all my boxers like stars. So if you look at if you look at who Adam Booth has got, um, he's got, let's start with Ryan Burnett, who's seemingly becoming one of the apples in Eddie's eye. You've got Josh Kelly, who Eddie's probably going to bet the farm on at some point. I don't know if Charlie Edwards is still there. I'm going to assume Charlie Edwards is still there. So you've got a pretty hefty match from Reliance Stable that Adam Booth controls. It wouldn't be much for Adam Booth to say, listen, you got to put something behind this Harlem Eubank as well because like, I want all of these guys to be moving at the same speed. And Hearn would probably have to agree. He can't really argue with Adam Booth on boxing-related matters. So oh. I think that's part of it. But just to explain, two years ago, pretty much to the day, Harlem Eubank was fighting in the Novice Championships. I watched him at your call. And there was all the flash and all the movement, but he had no power in the amateurs. So it's a matter of time before he gets found out. I don't know if he's a good or a bad boxer as a professional don't know yet but he lacked power and he didn't really have the stomach for a fight in the amateurs which is what i've seen so i was somewhat disappointed in that a bit like his brother seb eubank who had the same tendencies to to avoid the the nastier elements of being in the ring the um it might be a poor parallel to draw but it's it's a natural one in as much as they're related i I thought I think that Eubank Jr., um, Chris Eubank Jr., suffered with a lack of power at the beginning of his career, but he's he's made that he's made that better. He's worked on that. Is that not possible mm, for Harlem? Has he? You can't you can't say that <laughs> he's not fought anybody at the top level and imposed his power on anyone. So so the test for that would the natural test for that would be would against be Groves. Groves. Yeah, uh, it's a bit it's a bit too sweeping to say that. Eubank Jr. has uh, has progressed. Look, if, it, if his name was Harlem Smith, he wouldn't be getting walked out by Eddie Hearn on a next-gen show. He wouldn't what? be fighting in Monaco. Yeah, we've seen um, that happen with uh, Conor Ben, haven't we? This the same, yeah, yeah. the essence of... But how embarrassing is it that you had Joe Cordina the week before not get his slot on the TV, who's an Olympian, who was fighting in his hometown, who was meant to be fighting for a title, didn't get shown on the Sky pay-per-view... Yet Harlem Eubank, who's not even a member of Matchroom, like he's not on their website, he's not a Matchroom fighter to that end, still manages to get his shot, his shot on uh, the next gen card at York Hall, manages to get a, a run out over in Monaco. You know, it, it's clear favoritism. Whatever you've got to accept that from uh, if you're certain. I wonder if Eubank. there's a longer game here. I wonder if there's a longer game, which is. Can we draw Eubank Jr. back to Sky? Yeah, you, you want to be preferable, don't you? It's uh, you know he's a, a nephew of uh, of Chris Senior, cousin of Chris Junior. The last thing you want to do is treat them badly. Um, that's more than I mentioned, so we'll move on. Um, Cabayel versus Chisora. So um, Derek Chisora was fighting for the European title. Yeah, the EBU title. Right, and last night and. Yeah, then he lost. So disappointing, really disappointing. Uh, in in Chisora's performance, or yeah, just the result or. But I don't know. I think there's almost I'm as guilty as anybody else in this in having an inflated expectation of what Derek Chisora is. 
so you roll back time and he was an ABA champion how many years ago, Terry? Ten? Two thousand and six. Yeah, maybe. But it was quite years. a bad year. Um so I mean he I carries... think he, he was he was ABA champion the year after Bell you tried to win it at super heavyweight as well. Ah, fair enough. Um so you know, he carries that title with him. Which makes you assume that he's probably a better boxer than he is. He, he's a brawler. I always think this with Derek is that I enjoy watching Derek Chisora fight. I think it's fair to say his level sits somewhere between British and European. You know, his best ever night was maybe the loss to Klitschko. Um, but, you know, he's never beaten anybody of a significant name, like ever. He's, he's valiantly lost a lot of good fights. But never beaten anyone that you could say, well, that that marks him out as being a world title contender or or being above European level. Um, and then as Cabiel turns up, and I think people assumed that it would be easy work for for Chisora. Certainly, the odds suggested that. Um, but he couldn't. He doesn't deal well with people that move rather than just stand in front of him, which is what Dillian White did. Which uh, is, like, it probably is an oversimplification, but then that's me. Um... I always feel like I, I'm waiting for him to turn into a pit bull and he just seems to just, you know, sort of meander around the ring. Not more. Potentially, I'm guilty of the same thing, expecting more from him than he's capable what, of. What, but I expected, like, go on, go for it. What he, he does, doesn't. he fights like a knockout artist without being a knockout <laughs> artist. <laughs> That's it. And so he's always on the front foot, always coming into range. <laughs> And always then goes to stand like on your toes kind of thing and start throwing shots. And at that point, you know, we'll come on to it later. We're expecting Wilder-esque power to come out of him. <laughs> We're expecting like, you know, absolute KO power. But he doesn't have it and he never has had it. He's never had that one punch knockout power against good fighters. But that's the way that he comes to fight. And that's what we enjoy about watching Derek Chisora. But it's also his limitation is that he doesn't have that. And if he did, he'd be a different level of fighter than he currently is. Terry... Paul Altai asks, do you think Chisora would have fought any differently with Don Charles in his corner advising him between rounds? The Chisora thing's bigger than that. Um, and I, I'll touch on on Paul's point as well. You've got to look at the people Derek has around him, right? And what are their motivations of pushing the Chisora wheel increasingly and with greater vigour up this gradient that they seem to lack the strength or intelligence to realize isn't for them. Number one, Don Charles does need Derek Chisora because the facility that Don Charles runs is a very expensive facility in a very expensive part of London. That's the main income stream for Punch London, which is where Derek trains. So he will keep churning Derek out for as long as he can. His manager, we all know who his manager is, also needs Derek as as a figurehead, as a magnet to draw other fighters in. Understandable. Individually, these two motivations are great, but what it means is they're in hock to Derek Chisora because I've watched Derek for the last four weeks. Every morning he's up and he's running on Instagram and whatnot, and he's training. But the guy came in 18 stone too. Now, you're a man in your mid-30s. You shouldn't be carrying that weight because you're not 20-something anymore with the same spring in your step. Derek should have been coming in the low 17s. The fact that he hasn't tells me that people aren't telling him what he should be doing or he's not listening. So that's down to his trainer. That's down to his manager. Someone should have been sat there going, mate, you're fucking blowing it. 
because he did. That was a chance to win a European title and have one last big shot. And he blew it. He blew it because he couldn't pull the trigger. He blew it because he was too heavy to move. And you could just see he got old. In that fight, Derek Chisora got old. Yeah, you can't be 18 stone two at that weight. And I'm speaking from someone who's about Derek's height. And I was that weight. This time last year, I was like 18.5. And you start to skip and you jiggle and it's uncomfortable and it's not great. You're trying to run, but you can't get up any speed. So you have to... You have to come down in the weight as you get into your 30s, especially. There are a lot of health reasons why you should do that. But in a boxing sense, you're trying to manage the decline. And the easiest way to do that is to be in fucking shape. Yeah, it wasn't like he looked like warm marble, was it, <laughs> last night? Was... But, but how many times have we said this on the podcast? Anthony Joshua has shown you how you're supposed to walk out to the ring. If you haven't taken that lesson yet, three years later, then you don't deserve to succeed in the sport. If you're still walking around like a fat mess in the <laughs> era where heavyweights are looking like they're carved out of marble, as you said, if you're still that overweight mess, you don't deserve it. That's uh, you just don't deserve it because I'm not going to reward you for being lazy. Yeah, it, it sounds like a flippant point, but it, it's, it's true. Like, you know, you these are professional athletes and we've said it before on this podcast, um, the, the least they could do is stop eating cheeseburgers or whatever the fuck they're doing or like because it clearly well i don't know are they training is it a lack of training is it a lack of diet is it a lack of both what how can you get to that i think Derek does what he wants now i think that's the general message we take from this like paul says would don charles have made a difference in some way yes familiarity comfort a little bit of confidence perhaps but in terms of tactics Derek does what he wants now Uh, you get the message but look, anyone that saw Derek in Monaco doing the IFL stuff, he didn't really look like he was taking the fight seriously. He had that demeanor about him where he was just out for a jolly at Matchroom's expense. Uh, Martin, Tom Horner asks, what's next for Chisora? I saw a lot of people talking about him retiring, um, which I, I'm, I'm against. Because right now, you've got Sam Sexton set as the British heavyweight champion. Derek Chisora could walk in and beat Sam Sexton. I don't care how average he was last night. He'd still go and beat Sam Sexton. Um, And you've got these up-and-coming fighters of Joe Joyce, Daniel Dubois, Nathan Gorman. Um, I'm not going to put Sam Sexton into that because I think most of those would take him out fairly soon. But you've got these young fighters that are going to need opponents of a reasonable level that we're familiar with enough to test where they're at over the next 12 months, 18 months. That's where Derek Chisora should be placing himself. The question will be whether that is almost demeaning to Derek Chisora. Right, that was my next, that was my follow-up question. What are, is, are his ambitions going to gonna contradict that? But that comes trajectory. down to two things, doesn't it? It comes down to ego and it comes down to money. Now, it depends if he's financially stable for life and it depends on... Nope. It depends upon whether or not he's willing to lower his standards from going uh, for a European... Has got a choice, though? Well, if he's not financially set for life, which I can't say yes or no, I don't know. Um, but if he's not, and this is his main income, you know, if he if he retired tomorrow, what's he going to go and do? Oh, uh, okay, sorry. Um, what I, I should have... Yeah, I should have clarified. What I mean is... I. 
Is British level the only thing left open to him to fight for? Well, it's going to be a struggle to go back to European, given that from what we saw of Cabiel, he's not a world beater by any means. He's not going to go on and take on Anthony Joshua based upon that performance. Um, and there are other younger lads coming through that can take Derek Chisora's place at that level above. His job is going to have to be to stop one of them. And then if he can do that, it propels him back up. You know, if he can stop a Joe Joyce or a Daniel Dubois from progressing at the rate they are, then that, you know, by proxy of doing that, pushes him on back to the European level. Um, but based on last night, am I confident he could do that? He could maybe do a number on Joe Joyce. I'm not convinced he'd do an awful lot with Daniel Dubois. Um, so, yeah, I, what's next for him? It depends on what his ambitions and his financials are. And I think only he can really answer that. Terry? Um, the man's in a bad way because that performance last night basically pissed on any hope of a rematch with Dillian White being pay-per-view. I think I speak for most people when, number one, I don't want to see that fight. I have no interest in it. Number two, it shows Dillian White's real level. So yes. yes. Are we interested in that fight? It's just pay-per-view filler now. And that could have been a big event. But I don't think Derek Tesora cares. I genuinely don't think he cares. He just wants to get paid to fight, and he'll keep doing that for as long as someone will pay him to fight. If it means he has to keep sliding down that pole, then he'll probably keep doing it. It won't be pleasant to see, and you hope that he knows when to leave. But, you know, I can... The only thing I could ever see is him being a tune-up fight for like a Tyson Fury, just for him to get his feelings back. <laughs> Which we spoke but, about last week, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. So a third, but, but a third no loss to now. walk over. I, I've no interest, but I feel for him because he clearly has the wrong people around him that let him go into the ring with that mindset and that physique. His team have failed him. Right, so there is a question for you then. Is it... Is it the people around him or is it his mindset? Because you can only do so much for some people, can't you? You are who you associate with. And that's always been my belief. If you're around people who will drive you, who will hold you accountable for the things you have pledged, then that's better than having people who are willing to listen to you, to you your limitations and your weaknesses. Right, that, but that's he's, why he's say, responsible for his entourage though, isn't he? He's like for who he's hangs around with. And if, if he's, if people are saying to him, Derek needs to train harder and he gets rid of those people and fills himself, uh, fills his entourage with yes, yes men, so to speak, then, you know, it's, it's, it's by, by his own, by his own problem generation. It's, it's his, it's his issue to I deal think with. at the end of the day, if you're however old he is, 31, 32, and you can't get yourself 34, up. 34, isn't he? Well, is he older? Sorry, yeah, 34. And you can't get yourself up for a final shot and moving on to the world title, then you've got to look in the mirror. <laughs> it looks like, he looks like David Hay was taken over to America and force-fed cheeseburgers for three years. <laughs> like, this is, or, or some before and after shot from some American TV, like, bodybuilding thing. You look at them, they're similar age, and David Hay is just, if nothing else, it shows that David Hay has got a commitment to the profession more so than Chisora. He has, but look, I always look at Derek, and I remember going back, we're going back a good few years now, when Derek was a novice super heavyweight and heavyweight, he was knocking people out. Like, I remember you'd walk into the gym and you'd, you'd be there saying to guys like Dominic, have you seen this Chisora guy? And they 
let him get to 10 bouts, he's going he's gonna to fuck you up. And we'd be rubbing it into all the super heavyweights in the gym about this Chisora guy. And then he started fighting elite level super heavies. So he was getting in with guys like David Price and whatnot. And he didn't knock anyone out. But in Derek's head, he's still that knockout merchant that people always hoped he would be. And he's almost carried on with that ethos, which is, I don't have to be athletic, I knock people out. But the truth is, he hasn't taken it seriously. He hasn't got people around him who who could say, look, take it seriously. I thought Steve Goodwin would have been the guy to have said to him, mate, look at Ian Lewison, yeah? You can't be that way. You have to be in optimum fighting shape. That's how we take you from level one to level two to level three to level four and make sure that your kids are financially secure. Because yeah, you I... can't be relying on Lisa Bambi's family money and on that inheritance. You can't be relying on that. <laughs> okay, I'm going to stay away from this one. That's a uh, social media now. I didn't want to really you know, would... ex- expose it too much. What? Uh, right, first of all, uh, we don't have to go into too much depth, but one word answers. Would you watch Chisora versus Fury, either of you? Um, I wouldn't watch it with any great anticipation if it was on the Saturday night. If you were going to watch it, it'd be for Fury more so than Chisora, right? See what shape Fury comes in. See if he can get under or over the weight of Chisora. <laughs> Terry? <laughs> under duress. Would you watch Chisora face Daniel Dubois? Yes. 100%. Would you watch him face Joe Joyce? 100%. Yes. 90%. Would you watch? Him? I've lowered myself by ten percent immediately. <laughs> would you? Would you want watching fight Dillian White? No, fifty percent. Like that right. to me is the main support of an undercard somewhere. It, it's no longer a all lead of, event. Uh, potentially, all of those, bar perhaps Fury, can't justify a pay per view, can they? Can no, Fury can't? No, none of them fair, can. Can't Fury can't? But it, it might. Try. None of them can. Not to us. They probably can to Eddie. But <laughs> um, the reason I ask that is because that gives you that gives uh well it would be a start of a ten for a potential future. And that's just what I've thought off of the bat. Yeah, it's what I was saying earlier is that now he's at that point almost like we want Ricky Burns and Anthony Crawler to be is the test for the up and coming fighters. Yeah. Um, but we've seen with Eddie that he puts Ricky Crawler, um, Ricky Burns and Anthony Crawler in together. So let's just hope we don't end up with the same situation where we get another white Chisora, because I'm not interested in it. Okay, so we also had an Australian fighting, I think a Russian, um, in Bivol versus Broadhurst for the WBA light heavyweight title. Uh, I know nothing about this fight, so please fill me in. Well, but he took took all of a round, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he took the whole um, of the round as well. He went on three minutes, like on the bell, just fucked him up. Oh, really? Yeah. So what do we have a knockout at that particular point? A stone yeah, cold? Just clean. Yeah, yeah. Like one punch knockout as oh, well. Wow. Like no getting up. Uh, although I think he probably did beat the bell, didn't he? I think. <laughs> like the referee had already waved it off by that point because he was out cold. And then he seemed to like wake up soon after. Got up and he looked all right. But it's not, it's not to say I wanted to see that go on by any means. The guy was gone. Uh, but I guess... The the point is, and and this is Eddie Hearn with his scumbag matchmaking again. Trent Broadhurst must be like the third best light heavyweight in Australia. Which, come on, man! Like, really, you're you're behind, you're behind. Like, fucking, I can't even remember who those degenerates are. Isn't there one <laughs> called Blake Caparello or something? There like, is. You're he behind. Was the one, he was the one that beat Trent, I think. 
yeah, you basically you're you're rubbish. You're objectively rubbish. Like this isn't a matter of opinion. You're objectively rubbish, and you're fighting for a world title against a man who is a killer. Or, or albeit that he's what he he's what behind he's behind Kovalev and Baturbiev in the Russian rankings. Maybe there's some more monsters out there we don't know about. But Bivol's not even the real killer that comes out of Russia. And Hearns managed to make this sound like some kind of legitimate world championship That's event. Weird. He never does that usually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, and where my frustration comes from is this, right? Al Heyman puts on a hell of a card in New York. And I think it was free to air TV as well. I might be wrong on that. And Al Heyman's basically shown in 2017 how you put on a boxing event, how you get people on a card and you get fans excited. And Hearns just served as this fucking drivel with Bivol. Boom, got it in there. <laughs> um, right. So but we've nothing- got to point out, like, Bivol, for as much as it was a total mismatch, um, like, that right hand that he threw was sensational. Just a lead right hand with no backswing to it. He just pulled it straight from where it was. Like didn't have to wind the shot up at all. And it was bang on the chin, like ice cold. It, it, it was a classic Hopkins type of shot. So if you ever watch Hopkins, Hopkins works on that one. That ability to to just be moving, moving. And as soon as you feel the tension in the right part of the shoulder, you just let the hand go from there. Bang. And you you, you just don't see it coming. So yeah. Broadhurst didn't even know what had happened to him. Yeah, no, he didn't. He must have just woken up thinking, crikey, Australia feels a lot colder now. Um, yeah, what time's the Where fight? am I? Where am I? <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, it was uh, a sensational finish. But, you know, to call that a world title fight is a little bit embarrassing. Okay, moving on. Um, Parker Granados. Before we do that, right, I'm going to chuck this in. Oh, okay. I've just got this um, a message from someone who's going to stay anonymous. Groves versus Eubank, if anyone's interested in it. This isn't 100% like confirmed or anything, just a message. Feb 3rd? February 3rd, um, Manchester, apparently. So, yeah. I, I can't so say don't worry, everyone, because I've already booked my hotel. Because this goes out <laughs> later. <laughs> this will go out Monday. So, yeah. uh, so I might have already hiked the prices with my book, group booking. But you can buy hotel rooms off of me for just a marginal, <laughs> marginal increase on the original posted price. So, uh, yeah. Price. No, that's not confirmed by any means. Don't go and like book it on leave and then blame uh, me if it is. But isn't. I wouldn't be surprised because hasn't Hearn got the O2 booked on February 3rd? Well, uh, I don't know. I think Hearn's got the O2 booked That's when he's looking 3rd. at doing White Wilder, I think. Wow, that, 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 that's a working assumption, isn't it? <laughs> that's, why? I, I don't understand why they go head-to-head like that. Why? Well, I think, to be fair to the Sowellans, what they said at the beginning of this is that we're going to pick our dates and we're going to pick our venues and we're not going to, like, budge on it. And so if it turns out that we clash with somebody else and we suffer because of it, if it's to our detriment, we're not going to back out of that. So, for instance, like Liam Smith versus Liam Williams is happening this weekend coming up in Newcastle. was originally scheduled for the same date as um, Joshua versus what turned out to be Takam. Um, but Frank Warren, when he found out, like it was all announced. There were posters, it was everything. And then they announced Joshua. So they picked up Smith and Williams and moved it to another weekend, um, which is wise to do the Sourlands have said we're not doing that like we're just going to go with the dates that we pick nothing's getting moved so that you can have faith and confidence that if you're booking 
a ticket, if you're booking a hotel, trains, etc., that you're going to be there on that date. A oh, fair one, I suppose. It's a uh, it's a sort of loyalty that you don't you rarely see in boxing yeah. today. Yeah. Oh, it's just. Could you can you remember? Oh yeah. Um. Yeah. Oh, uh, Fury Klitschko two's off, and you know, uh, you know that Germany fight you were all booked to go yeah. and see. Yeah, that's not happening now. Sorry, sorry, lads. Or oh, was that the first fight? No, that's yeah. It was. It, it was, was the, the first, first one. one. Yeah, because we had tickets, hotel, flights, a lot, didn't we? Yeah, that was they fucking far cancelled uh, it. Fuck them. Okay, so moving on, Sean Porter took on Granados, uh, which I I stayed up to to watch. Um, so technically, I did see more than you did, Martin. I didn't see any of it. So you lot carry on. I'm just on Booking.com looking for a hotel in Manchester <laughs> on February the third. Tell me when you're done, all right? Um, Terry, did you see more than I did? Um, standard Porter fair. Um, a bit of a, a mix of boxing um, and then the sort of horrible aggression that Porter's known for and is known to intimidate. Granados, from, I think he's from somewhere like Ohio. So he's kind of out of the Broner camp. I know he's close to Adrian Broner and they fought each other. So it's a typical Granados thing of, you know, I'm going to go for the rounds. But Porter got the decision. Granados is unhappy with the decision, feeling that he was, he was landing the more powerful shots and the more effective shots and doing more damage to Porter than Porter was doing to him. Um, so it's a marked time fight for both guys who are probably headed in different directions, but Al had to get them their Christmas money somehow, right? <laughs> so I'm just going to skate over it. I wasn't overly excited with what I saw. Yeah, I must admit, I got a bit bored halfway through, flicked channels, uh, came back, and I saw Sean Porter laboring, and it, it bored me. The fight was excruciatingly boring. So if you haven't seen it, don't feel obliged to catch up because it wasn't really worth it. Really sold it, lads. Yeah, Brazil. Oh, that's not my job. Brazil versus <laughs> Molina. Did anyone watch Brazil versus Molina? Yes. And look, look. No, I'm not booked this hotel a... yet either. So again, I'm sitting this one out. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a re- I found this a really interesting fight because... And are you coming to this if it's on February 3rd? Yeah. Oh, Terry, <laughs> oh. Terry, are you coming up? Um, I should do. Hopefully, they'll get someone like Stacey Copeland on the undercard. You know, get some local interest in it. I'm booking one of these ones that you can cancel last minute as oh, well. Oh, good. Do that then, because I might be. I might have a gig. I think. All right. Anyway, carry on, boys. In Manchester. No, unfortunately not. No, I have a gig that night, so I can't do it. Oh, that's annoying. All right, I'll book a double. Anyway, carry on. As you But <laughs> look, in essence, you've got two Anthony Joshua victims, and it was a good yardstick of what we were talking about last year about how good or how shit AJ actually is so we thought Brazil was tougher than we expected I think this fight showed Brazil's a real tough man um, very limited boxing wise but in Molina he had the perfect opponent it looks like Brazil struggles when you come forward at him but if you if you go looking for the ropes like Molina did then you're perfect fodder for him so, while Brazil didn't do the same number on Molina that AJ did, what I did like was you saw Brazil with some real attacking intent, you know, and he was really looking to do a number on Molina. And Molina showed why he's absolute shit and why he is literally 
the worst opponent AJ could have picked in December, despite what everyone was trying to say on social media. And I remember the people who were tweeting how good Molina was. He was absolutely atrocious. Uh, Brazil put him down in the eighth. His corner pulled him out. And basically, you know, that was the final eliminator for Deontay Wilder's title. So all that stuff Eddie Hearn was talking about Dillian White. <laughs> if Dillian White beats Hellenius, he fights Deontay Wilder. Another Eddie Hearn life for you guys to add to the list because I don't see Dillian White fighting Deontay Wilder anytime soon. The best bet he can hope is that he has to fight Brazil and the winner fights Deontay Wilder. But to be fair, the Brazil we saw last night would have a field day with Dillian White. So let's see how that goes because that WBC lineup is looking stronger than any other governing body at the moment. And Wilder will have to have some interesting fights to hang on to his title. Uh, I found one with free parking. You found... <laughs> uh, right, so let's move on from Brazil. <laughs> free cancellation up to the day before as well. That is... That's all right, though, isn't it? Right, there we go. My wife listens to this, so Claire, can you write on the diary at home as well? February 3rd, I'll be up in Manchester. Yeah, nice. Okay. Um... Oh, now I'm gutted. I might have to have a throat infection that week and just go up to Manchester. I think there's a face that weekend, if I'm correct. <laughs> <laughs> that would mean nothing to 99.9% of people. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Awesome. Get off this ridiculous sidetrack. No, I've booked it now. Wilder versus Tavern. Yes. 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 I can jump ah. in now. <laughs> oh, he's yes. Come, he's come back for the meat and potatoes of the, <laughs> of yes. the podcast. My, my, my opening statement is this is the most dominant performance by a heavyweight in a long time. And I'm going to say this now. Stavern wasn't that good, mate. wasn't that good, mate. Come on. Nope, he was. He was. He was incredible, right? <laughs> Stavern. He was incredible. Incredible. Now, let's be absolutely <laughs> clear about this, right? No one has knocked out Bermain Stavern. I don't think anyone's even put him on the canvas before. Who's knocked out his fat brother? Because I think he was, he was in the ring last night. No, 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 no. I'm not trying to hear anything negative here, right? <laughs> you know, I, I, I heard all of this bullshit about, oh, he's too heavy. When you get knocked out in a round, like, you haven't even got time to have stamina issues. Do you know what I mean? Like, you got knocked out quicker that you would have done outside fucking Yates's. Do you know what I mean? So I, I'm going to say it now. I think, I think Wilder is the best heavyweight out there. This is a man for Mainz Stavern who's only been stopped one other time. And that was against, fuck, who was that guy? It was someone, it was Demetrius King. And it was a fourth round stoppage. And if you remember, I don't. Stavern was fine. No, Stavern was absolutely fine in that one. And, and so this, to knock him out, not only knock him out, you dropped him three times. The third time he tried to get up and he face-planted into the ring. Yeah, Joshua couldn't do that. Like Every time Wilder knocks you out, it does permanent damage to you. Like, like No one is ever the same after that Wilder knockout. So there are going to be a lot of Joshua you know, testicle lickers who how will old? tell you. They'll tell you how bad Stavern was and they'll tell you how wild Deontay was in this fight. How old is Wilder? And when... Uh, and when they do that, 132. just replay that first knockdown where he hit him with a one-two straight through the guard. And that sort of precision is what people don't give Wilder credit for. 
which is disappointing. The second thing that's impressive when you watch his knockdowns is how far away he keeps his head from his opponent, so you can't even counterpunch him. Like Wilder, when he needs to focus, is probably the, I mean, the second best technician after Tyson Fury. The thing is, all the wild stuff people refer to about Deontay and all the stuff they make fun of normally happens after he's just knocked you senseless and then he's just having fun. You know, he's just swinging on you knowing that you're never going to recover from it again and Stavern won't recover from that. That's an absolute hiding. Martin. And, oh, sorry, sorry. Sorry, Jerry, go on. No, and I was going to say, now I'm excited to see him and Brazil, you know, sort out their personal differences in the ring. Uh, Martin, Craig at Fight Talk asks, is there a case for the main event or others similarly out of shape slash pathetic being not being docked a percentage of their fight purse? It's a bit subjective, isn't it, really? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, who's, exactly whose view coming. is it that... Yeah. I mean, I know there was talk after Audley Harrison, David Hay, where Audley Harrison threw like four punches or whatever through the entire fight um, that Audley Harrison should have his, his purse docked. Um, now I know there was a guy David Payne that came and um, questioned this with Craig, saying, "You know, who's going to be in charge of it? Like, what would the WBC find Bermain Stevern?" Now, yeah. Robert Smith came out after the uh, Hay Harrison fight. So Robert Smith's the head of the British Boxing Board, and said um, there have been occurrences in the past where we find boxers for not trying their hardest. Basically, um, can you accuse Stevern of not trying his hardest? Not really. I mean, he didn't get a chance. You can accuse him of just getting his ass handed to him, yeah. but you can't really say he didn't try as hard. You can say he didn't turn up in great shape, but then, you know, are you going to find Tyson Fury for not being in great shape against Vladimir Klitschko? <laughs> you know, he didn't. But, 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 but actually, actually, if you go back into that first round, count the number of effective moves Stavern makes in that first round and compare it with what he did in the first fight. He was more energetic in this fight than he was in the previous fight. Yeah, and it might well be just, that he'd, he'd prepared himself maybe for a three-round blowout, anticipating that Wilder was going to come out quickly at him. So it might well be that he's just loaded up on bulk for three rounds of fighting. Um, you don't know, but either way, I mean, what I actually thought was quite impressive was Deontay Wilder using the jab. He used it very, very effectively. Um, just sticking it in Stiverne's face and just... <laughs> he doesn't throw it like... He doesn't... Um, it looks like he doesn't throw it with great venom, but I'm pretty sure that's going to be effective when you're on the end of it. Um, and Stiverne then was very cautious of walking forward because I think every time he was getting hit with it, he was feeling it. And so he then didn't want to approach Wilder. So Wilder just took it upon himself and wiped him out. Um, so Harry CB, don't feel necessarily obliged to react to this, but feel free if you wish. Did Stavern have an ounce of belief in that fight, or did he trade it all for a bigger pair of tits? Did he train at all? Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, Harry, for your question slash statement. Uh, but Pete Fenimore asks, um, do you think that Wilder would have been that open against someone who was willing to throw a punch? Now, admittedly, that is a slightly subjective question, but what was Wilder's explosiveness um, to do with him... Sp his style, or was it because of what Stavern uh, didn't bring to the ring? That's a very, very disrespectful question, actually. Um, I, I don't think... You know, if Let's say Wilder had done his ankle in, 
I don't think Stavell would have been leaning on the ropes going, no, nah, I don't want to hit him. Stavell would have gone after him. We need to now accept when people get in the ring with Wilder, they get nervous, right? Wilder's a six foot seven man. And I think his reach is greater than his height. I think his reach is over two meters. He's, he's a frightening prospect because you can't get close to him. And as soon as Stavern felt that first jab, he probably just had flashbacks to the first fight and went, I forgot how far away this guy actually is when he's jabbing. You know, and if you're Anthony Joshua, you know Anthony Joshua would have watched that fight. Whether he admits it or not, he'd have watched that fight and gone, I don't think I can get close to this guy, number one. And number two, having a high guard against Wilder is no protection because he drops Stavern through the guard, he drops Stavern around the guard, and then when he couldn't be bothered to even box anymore, he just beat the shit out of him. And I, that Stavern is better than the Takam we saw against Joshua. Let's be absolutely clear about that. Right, Stavern is a better vintage of heavyweight than Carlos Takam. Just my own you know, two pennies worth. Okay. Um, Mo Hassan asks, "Where did Wilder learn how to box? Because what he does in the ring is not boxing." <laughs> Bullshit! Don't 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 tweet that nonsense again. Oh, you know I mean, I... no, no, no. Don't don't tweet that bullshit again. Because look at the people that didn't make the 2008 Olympics, and Wilder did. Have some respect. The guy can box. He just doesn't need to. When you've got the power Wilder has, he doesn't need to. If if he hits Joshua with that right hand, and Joshua shakes his head, Wilder will go back to the one twos and the jabs. He will box again. He, he he will do what he has to do to win. Let's have some respect for Deontay Wilder from now on, please. <laughs> I wish I had some more um, disrespectful tweets to fire Just at Just make them up. Yeah, I, I mean, do, I yeah. feel like you're... Why is Wilder such a bum from Anonymous? <laughs> from Mandy White. <laughs> um, now actually, there's a, really, there's a good question, a really good question, actually, here. Um, even uh, Walker asks, even though I don't think it will happen, if Joshua beat Wilder, Parker, Fury, Yoka, Dubois, Joyce, maybe Usyk... Would he get the credit? Because last week you said there isn't... I said you, that's, that's referring to the podcast. Uh, last week said there isn't the talent for him to ever prove himself as one of the best. How many names were on that list? I can't remember. Uh, uh, if, if Joshua beat Wilder, Parker, Fury, Yoka, Dubois, Joyce and Usyk. Straight away, right? That's seven. So if we're saying that Joshua fights twice a year, that's three and a half years. Now, that's without fighting anyone else, not worrying about any mandatories, not worrying about any injuries, nothing, like, no warm-up, no, no in-between fights, no poo. So, if Joshua is magic, if he's magical, and he... And he, and he did three and a half years of that lot, I would tip my hat to him. I will go and make an Anthony Joshua memorial plaque <laughs> down in London somewhere, in Watford. Only a plaque? I'll put it in a place in Watford where he's not allowed to go anymore. So, uh, or wasn't allowed to go for a certain period of time, and then his mates can take <laughs> photos of it and send it to him. Uh, Terry Riku Heikler asks, "If you were in charge of Wilder's career, what would you do to build him into a global superstar?" Why? What? What? Why isn't he a global superstar? Like, what kind know. of question is that? See, everyone, everyone's hating <laughs> on Wilder here. Look, did anybody watch the Wilder post-fight press conference? AJ could not deliver a press conference like that. It was engaging. It was humorous. It was entertaining. Wilder is his own promoter because he gets this, right? He gets that it doesn't matter who he fights. Everyone wants him to fight Joshua. 
and he's the only one standing up and going, I'll fight Joshua yeah. tomorrow. Right, here's my fear. That's... Here's my fear. Wilder is older than Joshua. Did we say, what, three or four years older? Is that right? Yeah, about that. Are they going to wait and wait on Wilder, basically? They can do, but the problem is, I think fight on a fight-by-fight -fight basis, I think Joshua sustains more damage than Wilder does. So I think... The longer they wait, the fresher Wilder is because he just knocks people out. He doesn't get hurt. You rarely see Wilder hurt. Whereas Joshua's going life and death with people. He should be smashing to pieces. You know, that Klitschko Joshua fought, Wilder would have done it in four rounds comfortably. Uh, Craig at Fight Talk asks, uh, Martin, do you think if Wilder versus AJ happens, Wilder would put on additional size or uh, size mass to account for the AJ size? How would this affect the outcome? No, Oof. I don't think. I think he relies on that speed, that explosiveness that we saw last night. I don't. That version of Wilder last night, like I've seen a lot of comments today about his footwork's crazy, his body shape, he squares up too much. All valid things. Oh, for fuck's sake! I think in the context of what Terry was saying earlier is that look, he's got you beaten by the point that he's doing those things. If you look before he's got you beaten, he's working off the jab. He's flicking it into your face. He's making you think. When he knows he's got you beaten, then he can do what the hell he likes to you, in whichever manner he likes, in whichever style he likes. With that explosiveness, although I did have to laugh, that right step he took, Terry, uh, I think it was a final knockdown. <laughs> the, one whoa, whoa, just, the, the one just the, before the referee jumped on his back. <laughs> absolute genius. Because I, I, you know, I had to watch that again. Because I was watching the knock. I thought, like, oh, okay, nice. So you watch it again. He steams out the corner. He feints the jab. Yep. Shoots his right leg out to the right. Hits him with a lead right hook. Turns about 90 degrees. Hits him with a lead left hook. And I just thought, I don't know if that's deliberate or not. No, that was what well, that's, I... That, that's higher order boxing. Like, you've just hit him with two lead hooks. And Savern's going, what the fuck? Do you know what? Right now, right, a lot of our listeners won't notice, I'm bang in the middle of uh, training for a charity dance event in two weeks' time. Sometimes my footwork looks a little bit like that, like I'm making it up as I go along. But I should know better than I do. But <laughs> I'm trying to convince... But he may well have meant to have done it, as you say. In which case, that's phenomenal. Or it may just be that he goes where his body fancies going. And he's like, that's what I'm like, really, is uh, making it up a little bit as I go along. <laughs> which is fine if it's working for him, which it did last night. Yeah. Should, should he put any bulk on? Should he like bulk up for it? No, not at all, in my opinion. He should come out the same Deontay Wilder we saw last night. For me, Wilder looks more pleasing on the eye than, than Anthony Joshua does. And I, I don't know if it's because, like, in terms of, like, Anthony Joshua just looks almost inhibited by his size. Deontay Wilder, Wilder looks so much freer. Wilder last night looked like he could have gone and played an NBA game. Yeah. Um, yeah. He could have done, whereas Joshua, you just think he could have gone and lifted weights. And what, what, what should scare Anthony Joshua is, we don't believe Wilder has stamina issues. And we know Joshua does. The last thing you want when you've got stamina issues is having to watch out for that right hand. Do we think it happens? Does AJ Wilder happen? Um, I don't think AJ wants it. Let's, let, let's be clear about this, right? In Wilder's career, we haven't heard a single rumour about this guy getting put on his ass and sparring. We've seen the video with with David Hayward, he does get rocked, but we've never heard of him getting put on his ass. But we're hearing about Joshua getting put on his ass by amateurs, not pros, amateurs. Teenagers are putting him on his ass. So 
I think Wilder will take the fight now. I think Wilder would fly to Sheffield now, go and spar him and knock him out and fly back. But I don't think Joshua wants that fight. He wants to milk this AJ train for a few more fights against a few more names that you can sucker in these the, the Twitterati, you know the guys man. like that little group of guys who think they're real experts in boxing and they're celebrities to the 212 mutual followers that they all have and they, they, they like to talk about AJ like he's some sort of god but he's not and when Wilder gets hold of him his life's going to get turned out nice and simple uh, Arthur Wallace asks or points out uh, rather a lot of talk after last night that Wilder is dodging white uh, WBC eliminator Brazil versus Molina for me he beats he beats him thoughts right so this who, be, who beats back, who so this relates but I think what he's kind of alluding to here there was talk in the week that the Brazil Molina fight was a final eliminator for the WBC title um, which Dillian White kicks off he's like I've got the WB silver the WBC bronze the WBC like platinum my nan's Rainbow. bronze um, you know, he's, he's got all these WCBC belts that he's collected over the years or whatever, so he should be number one. And yet the winner of Brazil versus Molina was being put in as the uh, the mandatory challenger. Later on in the week, the WBC came out. This after they've announced it. They came out afterwards and said, oh, it was an admin error that shouldn't have been announced as like a final eliminator. Um, so in other words, you'd suspect somebody's rung them up and said, wait a minute, we need to get Dillian into that position. Um, I don't know, maybe someone in Essex, whatever. Um, could be anyone. So is Deontay Wilder ducking Dillian White? Not a hope. Um, I genuinely, I don't believe Anthony Joshua is necessarily ducking Deontay Wilder. I think maybe the people that are handling Anthony Joshua are ducking Deontay Wilder. Um, Can you say this about about this whole number one contender thing? No. Dillian White doesn't have a CV that stands close to Brazil or Molina. Like, let, let's well, like, forget who's beat who or who's lost to who, right? Brazil's been in there with some killers. Like, he went hell. I mean, he went life and death with Amin Mansour, the most avoided heavyweight in boxing. I mean, he's been in there with AJ, the golden boy. Who the hell is Dillian White to say you deserve to be ranked higher than either of those two? I don't get it. Someone tell me who Dillian White's fought that we should respect. Well, you did. No just name checked Anthony Joshua, which seems. Yeah, but he, no, 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 no. But, but he didn't even fight Joshua when Joshua was champion. He fought Joshua when Joshua was still Bambi on ice. Yeah, but that, that's not his fault, is it? He took it when it was given to him. No, no, no. But my point is, there's nothing on Wilder's. Uh, not Wilder. There's nothing on White's CV where you're like. You need to fight for a world title now. Do you see what I mean? Whereas well, with Brazil, I'd... I'm like, well, you fought for one before. I totally agree with you. As it happens, I was just playing devil advocate. I think White's the most overrated heavyweight there is, and simply because he's seen, he seems to be commonly sort of held up as just below world level, and I don't think he is. Uh, you know, I, 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 like like you guys alluded to earlier, he struggled against Chisora right to the end, and Chisora couldn't even win a European title last night. So I don't see how. You can possibly think that Dillian White is anything other than bang average. Let's cut to the chase. It's and, fucking and, embarrassing if Dillian White is making these noises about Wilder and Wilder's expected to answer it. Like, why should... That's the equivalent yeah. of me ringing up, like, boxing news going, Deontay Wilder's been ducking me for the last six months because he's not saying my name in press conferences. 
And what is it Dion Edwalda like, came out and said? He said, I'm a king. I don't deal with paupers. <laughs> peasants. No, no, peasants, what sorry, yeah. You're sending me these peasants. I'm a king. I only deal with other kings. Yeah. and like, I'm, not, I'm not coming to England to fight the peasant. And let's be clear. I'm not being disrespectful to Dillian White over this, but we've seen the levels that Dillian White's operating at. Deontay Wilder deserves to fight Andy Joshua. Dillian White doesn't deserve to fight Deontay Wilder. Yeah, and wasn't it just sort of who put it on Eddie Hearn and went, all right, you really think White is the man? Pay Wilder his seven million. Yes, he and did. Hearn, Hearn had to go, um, every fight has its value. And I was like, there you go. Um, I, there you go. I, I, we, I get. I see. We've we've kind of touched on this, but I just want to uh, check them. Check the question off the list. Patrick Smith asks: Could you see AJ Wilder actually happening in 2018, or is it more likely to be 2019, if at all? God. It won't happen next year. AJ probably has two fights in him, and one of those will be a mandatory of some description, and the other will be a, you know, I've got an injury. Give me someone I can just knock over in three or four rounds. Do you know what fucked me off? The amount of people, right, that were having a go about Stiverne as an opponent for Wilder, going, oh, he cherry-picks people. The same people that were justifying Takam as being an opponent for, well, Pulev and then Takam, <laughs> as being an opponent for Joshua. Like, that was his mandatory. Stiverne was his mandatory. It's exactly the same situation as Joshua had. You can't criticise that opponent. You can criticise some of the previous ones. Fine. But you can't criticise that opponent last night and justify Joshua doing the same thing. Who's Wilder's next... What his, what, Wilder's next fight will be uh, a fight a he can choose. A voluntary. Yeah. And so will AJ's? Uh, well, he's got the two belts, so I can't remember if it's time for another mandatory. I'm not well, sure. He hasn't got a mandatory for the WBA. Okay. He hasn't, did you say, Terry? No. So now that Ortiz is banned, he hasn't got a mandatory for the WBA. Right, so the, the next step, for they're, they're both got voluntary, so there's no reason why they, they... Really, there's no political reason why they can't do it, right? But anyway, a mandatory, in theory, for most of the governing bodies, can be trumped by a unification. And so if you can go to the, man, uh, the governing body and say, look, I need to skip over my mandatory for now, whilst I go and unify elsewhere... The governing body will typically be okay with that. So the politics should sit aside for I don't anyway. understand. Why isn't Wilder a mandatory for Joshua? Do you know what I mean? Go, they no, no, they governing bodies don't champions. do it that way. Why? Why would you? He already holds a belt elsewhere. He can justify the unification at any point. You don't need to be and, ranked. And you, yeah. Oh, but I'd... <laughs> but that means that they can protect, like, they can put Robux in the way. If they, if they made a mandatory yep. and said, fight them or we'll take your belt off you... Then it would be there would be a a, a roadblock, you no, know. It's not happening. Give up. Okay. Fine. The thing that I want to query on it: why on earth do Al Heyman um, and Deontay Wilder's team not um, make the offer to Joshua? Come over to the states. Do it over here. We'll sell out in Vegas. There'd be so much money in that as well. Yeah. But we keep hearing about... It's almost as if Wilder is reliant on Hearn to cough up the money to bring him over for Joshua. Yeah. Why are we not well, hearing I, it the other way around? No, so I think the problem you have is... <laughs> Getting that, a work permit for somebody who's been drug dealing? Pretty much. I mean, that's, and, that's slightly facetious, but not entirely. Yeah, so so I think you've got you've got those issues, which they and you know, 
Peter Fury could, can't refer to those in public. Peter Fury but couldn't also, get his work permit, could he, when Tyson went over there? Yeah, I'm trying to think. But I also don't think... Oh, what, I'll rephrase that. I think Hearn has got into the minds of the Americans when Hearn talks about AJ making $20 million a fight. So, so Heyman's probably there going, we can't, we can't generate that sort of figure. But Heyman will know he's then... talking bollocks. I'm not, I'm not buying for a second that Heyman believes the shite that comes out of Hearn's mouth. <laughs> I'm not. Come on, man. If we can see through it, Heyman's a boxing man. He knows it is garbage. Yeah, so, so, so I'm intrigued by that as to why it doesn't happen. Because here, 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 here becomes the problem, right? The longer AJ and Wilder have their cold war, the more expensive it is to get Joseph Parker's belt because then that becomes the most valuable belt in boxing, if that makes sense. Well, so you end up, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, so, a, let's just say, example. Wilder, well, let's say Wilder fights Parker and then the, t- the AJ and Parker have got two belts respectively, then they just make more fucking excuses to not fight each other. Exactly. That's going to be the problem. So, so he, here's how I'm seeing it go because. Parker will have to defend against the winner of Povetkin versus Funknos. I don't even care. But essentially, Povetkin will be fighting Parker for that belt. And the Russians... It was uh, like Christian, Hammer. Eight- Christian Hammer. Christian mm-hmm. Hammer. Ah, okay. <laughs> yep. The man that turned David Price into a giraffe. <laughs> but also the man that Tyson Fury just played with. Played with. And here's the point. The Russians will pay to have the title fight in Russia with Povetkin. They don't care about pay-per-view. They don't care about selling out stadiums. Those Russian oligarchs will put the money together because having a Russian world champion is just the right thing to do for them. Okay, I mean, right? Was... Sorry, go on. So that means Hearn has... So that bids up the price of that WBO belt. Now, Hearn's going to have to pay a similar sort of money because I'm sure Povetkin's people have said to Parker, hold on to that belt, have a soft defense, because you've done your mandatory, have a soft defense, fight us in the summer, we will give you seven million. And Hearn's gonna have to match that. Um, let me ask you this. Could Fury mess this all up? If Fury comes into the whole scenario, that kind of distracts from Wilder then, and that allows AJ to face Fury instead. I mean, not that that would be a bad fight, <laughs> but does that mess up? Fury's does the, it. the hypothetical and the literal elephant in the room. <laughs> um, let's not worry too much about Fury. Well, unfortunately, I've got 12 questions to ask you about Fury. Okay. No, 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 no. No. So, 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 no, no. so here's my answer to every Fury question. Yeah. When he weighs under 20 stone, I will answer all of those questions. When he, have a, when he has a license. He doesn't have a license. I but, don't even mind that because he'll find one. It's it's. I want him to show the dedication and the hunger. He might find that a license. Taking it seriously, he might find a license, but Joshua isn't going to go and fight on a Maltese license or a Bieber license. He yeah, won't. But, uh, and the BBBFC said they won't stand in his way or something. Um, from what I understand, they've said. That, <laughs> I've heard a few things behind the scenes that I can't necessarily elaborate on. Right, is that. It's a lot further away than perhaps we're being led to believe that he would get a license back. As much as Robert Smith may have said, I'm not going to stand in the way, look, he can't stand in the way of him applying for a license. You can't stand in the way of anyone (laughs) applying for a license. 
However, when you get to the application stage and you've got to fill in all the details... Oh, sweet, I'll apply. Oh, no, you're not allowed one. I just said I wouldn't stand in your way yeah, for having one. But I say, one. when it comes to the application stage and you start filling in all the details and they're doing the, the requisite checks, it's not standing in someone's way to look right. at the, the facts. Okay, a slight deviation from, from the path, but staying on heavyweights. Verbal warning asks, I'd be interested to know the road, uh, the the path each of you would pick for Hay slash Joshua slash Wilder slash Fury over the next 24 months. Let's disregard Fury. We've got enough questions about Fury. Um, do you want to quickly touch on uh, the next three fights for Hay, Joshua and Wilder? Hay, next fight will be Bellew. After that, what would be a logical fight for him? Are we assuming they win each of these fights? Let's assume that Hay beats Bellew anyway. Uh, it's got to be Parker and then Huey Fury. Is it likely for him to get Parker in a fight after Bellew? I'm talking hypothetically here. I've got a blank check. Um, this is the route. If I was a blank check manager of David Hay, that's what I would be doing. So it would be Bellew, Parker. Huey Fury. Huey Fury. Um, Ticks off all the WBO route that way. Terry, what would be the next three fights for Deontay Wilder? Um, Brazil should be next. Then I would fight Huey Fury. And I'm not going to assume Tyson comes back, so I'm not really interested in that. And then whoever's got the WBO belt next. So Brazil, just to keep the WBC happy and keep your American fans in the loop. Huey Fury to build yourself up in the UK. They get that WBO belt, so you got two belts, and there's nowhere else for Joshua to go. And that also answers... Um, well, it doesn't really. David McGinley also asked... VIP David McGinley. VIP David McGinley. L- living legend David McGinley. In fact... VIP legend David McGinley has asked, and therefore we should answer, because otherwise VIP means nothing. <laughs> if managing t- uh, Fury on his comeback, big assumption, what would your three-fight f- plan to get him up to speed uh, for anti-Joshua? His, p- his pick would be David Price first, uh, Dillian White second, and David Hay third. Why? I don't know. He didn't. He's only got 140 <laughs> characters. <laughs> I would go Chisora for the rounds. Uh, Takam for the awkwardness, and then WBO uh, belt holder. No, okay. Pule. If we're warming up, if this is the build-up. <laughs> No titles required for you to step in with right. AJ. That'd be my three. Pulev for the size. Terry? God, this is tricky. Oh, man. I don't want to put him in easy. I think Fury's got to come in with a bang. So Fury versus Jarrell Miller will be my first fight. Um, Because I think you need that as a that transatlantic buzz and Hearn has invested so much in talking up Miller's name. You may as well just take the shine off anything Eddie Hearn does. My second fight will be Povetkin. I think Povetkin is legit and it's a good name to have on your record and it builds it up beautifully. So at that point you can then say, okay, I've beaten a guy that would probably give Joshua trouble. And then my third fight would actually be Brazil. I'd like to see what, Fury would do with Brazil because that's a big man. He's a tough man. And so I think by that point, we'd have a good idea of where Tyson Fury was. 
Okay, uh, will Eddie... Oh, no, sorry, that's the, another question I need to ask you later on. If Tyson Fury does return to boxing, will he return under Peter Fury? Um, if it's not, uh, if not, does he become half a fighter? And will Mick Hennessy be promoting him? I I think Fury's overrated. I think Peter Fury's overrated. Um, I think he can give you that awkwardness and that that kind of ring control. But we need to get rid of someone, as we saw with Huey and Joseph Parker. There isn't that plan B. There isn't another gear. So if Fury were to leave Peter Fury, yeah, Fury, if we were to leave his uncle Peter, would that be a bad thing for him? Not necessarily. But then where do you go is the next question. Because really, Tyson has a lot of things in his locker. So it's like, well, what, what are you going to give him? I don't know if anyone in the UK could really do anything with Tyson. I think your your only value add to Tyson Fury at that point is the physical conditioning side of things. So do you hand him over to a guy like Adam Booth, perhaps? Um, I can't see it's Adam. someone of that ill. He's not. And, he's, and, he's not going to leave Peter Fury. He's not going to leave his uncle. That you know. I he's... I I no, no, I. There've been things that have been said since Tyson's gone missing that make you wonder how close that relationship is at the moment. Because when you're someone's uncle and you clearly can't get through to them and help them, there's, there's you know, there's something to be worried about there. Okay, interesting. Um, ben, Sh- uh, Neil Shaw, sorry, um, says, if if Tyson Fury is on about making a comeback, do you think he really is? Or do you think it's a load of crap? Ben, LOFC, if Fury does come back, do you think he'll work with Hearn or another promoter? Who do you think he should work with? And that, I think, concludes the Fury questions. Oh, uh, aside from a record question from Verbal Warning. So, does he work with Eddie Hearn, another promoter who you think he should work with? And do you think he will well, actually ever come back? They're laying a lot of seeds, didn't they, over at Matchroom? So, he was over in Monaco last night, um, sat front row. You know, they've given him ringside seats. Um, make sure he could fit in. I was worried about you know you see the fighters going up in that lift. Like I hope Fury never has to go in there because I'm not sure. Um, there's a lot of of hints. So the matchroom social media um, presence is talking an awful lot more about Tyson Fury now than they ever used to. So it's almost like they're they're sweetening him up. So if you remember Cole Frampton when Cole Frampton left the McGuigans, they did exactly the same thing. Um, and so it was almost like a, a flirtatious period that they had with Carl Frampton, whereby, oh, look, we'll get you on the Sky Sports website, we'll push you out to the matchroom um, followers, Hearn will talk about you, and then he fucked them off and went to Frank Warren anyway. Um, so it's almost as if right now they're in that courting period whereby matchroom are doing all they can to show Tyson Fury, look, we're actually really good people, we can make your profile a little bit nicer. Um, and we can do a job for you that you're not getting elsewhere. You know, Mick isn't doing this for you. Mick Hennessy isn't isn't providing any of this PR side of it for you. He's not doing the nice, softer touches for you. But look what we can do. Um, and so you do feel like Matchroom is certainly putting the effort out, you know, rolling out the red carpet a little bit to try and get Tyson on side. Whether that would work, I mean, it didn't work with Frampton, but, you know, Tyson's his own man a lot more. So... I think Mick Hennessy will always be there in the background, but we've seen that Mick Hennessy is capable of working with Frank Warren and basically handing the reins over and still taking his cut at the end. I think what's probably quite clear is we're not going to see another YouTube pay-per-view rolled out anytime soon. 
um, if the numbers are to be believed. So, yeah, Hearn would be a good shout to put him with because Hearn can probably clean up an awful lot of that image that's been tarnished already. Uh, Terry, do you think he will actually come back unless you have anything else to add on that? Um, look, I don't think he'll sign with Hearn because Tyson Fury is a lot of things, but when you believe you're the best heavyweight in the world, you're looking at Eddie Hearn going, how are you going to manage me and Joshua? Who's your priority? That's the question you've got to ask. And Eddie will go, look, AJ's a priority because he's the biggest draw in British boxing. And at that point, you'd go, well, Frank can get me the WBO shot. Why am I even fucking around with this guy? And that's how I look. That's how I look. And if I was advising Tyson, I'd be like, look, Warren can get you the belt that you need to make the noise you want if you're going to come back. Why would you bother with anyone else? The BT Sport platform is sufficient. And what it means is all the money fights that Hearn wants to make, he has to reach out outside of his match from Sky Network. And what that does is immediately guarantees more money for the other fighter. But if you Fury can say, will get... if you're Hearn and you said, I guarantee you, Tyson, two warm up fights, Joshua on the third. That's a pretty good, you know, if he could do that for Tyson Fury, I'm pretty sure Tyson would sign with him. Who's he going to fight, though? Doesn't matter. Like, well, I said, well, it doesn't well, matter. But... It, you know, it, it does because I'm sure he offered Dillian White the same promise, right? And every time Eddie's talked up a big name, it hasn't happened. Well, he could, he could get, surely he could get Fury to fight Dillian White in a tune-up fight. But as long as the management of Fury, and this is where managers are so important, as long as the management is correct, if you have choice of opponent, if you have choice of dates, and Hearn is basically then the promoter and not the manager, then I just think it would work very well for both. And if Fury could get that, as a contract out of Matchroom that said, you know, on these dates we will fight, and on the third one we will fight Joshua, and in the two lead up we get, you know, a veto of opponent at least. Okay, okay so let me throw another curveball in, right? When, when two of your amateur mates are with Frank Warren now, where are you likely to go? Like, you're Tyson Fury, you're like, I fuck with Billy Joe Saunders, and me and James and Gail had great times from 2007 to 2008. I'd rather be on that ship there with my mates than be on this ship here with Flex and Eddie Hearn because I remember all the stuff Eddie Hearn was saying about me. You know, I'm sure Fury's got a long memory. I imagine he's in Monaco to let people know he's relevant everywhere. He has options. But he'll sign with Frank because Tyson's a boxing person and he understands that you need someone who's going to fight for you because they need you to succeed. Hearn doesn't need Fury to succeed, really. It's irrelevant to him because he's got Joshua. Uh, Warren needs Fury to succeed because when you have the belts on your side of the line, that makes it easier for someone like a Daniel Dubois coming up. You can say to Fury, look, just drop that belt. Let Daniel take it. We'll have another fight. Um, okay. Almost off the um, heavyweight talk completely but last one Verbal Warning asks looking at Fury's record other than Vladimir Klitschko he has no real scalps and many not many by a KO could he really go 12 rounds with Wilder yeah of course he can Um, justification you're really going to ask me to justify that Like, like the best the best technical boxer, the guy with the, probably the longest jab in the game, 
who could just keep Wilder off balance, and he has as many effective moves. But but once again, who who said this guy hasn't got any scalps, man? Like, do you know how disrespectful people are? Like, he took Vladimir Klitschko when Vlad was a dominant champion, right? He beat Chisora when Chisora was a threat. He beat Steve Cunningham when Steve Cunningham was, you know I mean, a guy people said, yo, he's a Philly guy, he's got skills, he's got this, he's got that. I'm sure he beat Malik Scott as well. I might be wrong on that one. He didn't, um, he didn't fight Scott. He beat Christian okay. Hammer, the same Christian Hammer that's about to fight Povetkin, the final eliminator, the same Christian Hammer that folded over David Price. And he just toyed with him. Andy, you and I were there at that one. Um, mm. And he just beat him up. <laughs> like, embarrassed him. Uh, yeah. Go on. And, and also, people forget, man, we're talking about AJ being a 20-fight novice. Fury's a 25-fight novice then, isn't he? Okay. Um, shout out to Danny Watley because he asked, do you think Fury will ditch Mick and join Eddie? Seems like Fury and Eddie are pals. I think we've answered that question. Rob Brennan asks, will Eddie Hearn stay in boxing as long as Frank Warren does? No. No hope. Nah. He, Frank- he's looking for a way out already. Look, Frank Warren, right, for as much as there are many reasons not to necessarily like him, some of which are in my email inbox, um, (laughs) he has a love of the sport and a respect for the sport. And he, you know, he's been in the sport this long, despite not making money, I'm sure, year in, year out. I'm sure there are times when it's been hard to keep it going. You know, the man's been shot in the fucking head while he's been in the sport. You're not telling me that Hearn would have, you know, had years, he wouldn't have had dry spells where, like, he wouldn't be making money year on year. But, you know, with a longer vision to get it back, he wouldn't have kept going all that time. There's no hope whatsoever. Um, Hearn wants out. As soon as there's enough money in the bank, he's out of here. So Andy's just opened some food. I don't even know what that is. You're fucking yeah. wrong <laughs> You're an absolute wrong Your anchovies. Anchovies, for fuck's sake. Oh, wow. Well, I'm going to work in like half an hour. So I'm trying to eat whilst we finish the podcast because we've still got stuff to get through. And I'm going to basically hand most of this over to you two anyway. Uh, John John Bailey asks, if Williams beats Smith in their upcoming fight, um, does it change anything? Is he good enough to challenge at world level? If If Smith loses, where does he go? So to put some colour oh, on this, this is uh, oh. the upcoming fight in Newcastle this weekend. Two like middleweights, Liam Smith, Liam Williams, the best in Britain, you know, without a doubt. But you know, when you look at that world level, the world scene, Terry, I know it's a division you're hot on. Um, I don't think either of these two make a, a dent in it, do they? <laughs> wow. Come on, man. Lara. Charlo, yeah. Trout, Cotto, Jared Hurd. Smith, Williams. I mean, even even the old guys like <laughs> Canine Bundridge, um, Ishe Smith. I mean, you've got all of these guys who are... Jesus, man, I don't even think they beat Antonio Margarito. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's such a stacked division at the moment that someone like a Liam Williams who has nothing special about him. Like, I mean, he's a guy that turns up at Christmas and people probably ask, who, who are you? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, you got that. I'm Liam, mum. I've been here before. <laughs> you got Liam Smith who, 
to be honest, the highlight of this whole thing is him just <laughs> calling Liam Williams a shitbag. I thought that was hilarious. He did. But... And then Liam Williams, uh, did you see that he tweeted something about Joe Gallagher and called him a dog shagger? Uh, is that the one with the, with, the, with, the, with, the, with the shopping bags? No, no. Well, that had a, a response to the shopping bags, but he tweeted something about who gives a fuck what that dog shagger thinks. And then tweeted the next day saying, I think I've upset somebody. Um, so by all accounts, I think Joe Gallagher reported him to the board for what he tweeted about. I think that's what happened. Um, I hope he hasn't reported us to the board. To do what? I don't think they can take our license off us for being a bunch of knobheads on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure the board issue official licenses for that. I heard it in the circular. All boxes are required to listen to the <laughs> UA's Boxing Podcast. We've got our for platinum news and, and career guidance. Oh, we've got our platinum unrescindable knobhead badge anyway, so no one can take that away from us. Arse biscuits. Um, <laughs> look, I'm. Do you know? I'm, it's really sad, Terry. You're right entirely. These two don't um, don't touch anything on the world level. But I'm really excited for the fight because it's two lads that are well matched. It's two lads that um, you know the first fight was an interesting one. Ended with the intentional or unintentional headbutt from Liam Smith. Depends how you want to look at it. Um, Liam Smith says that Liam Williams has got no heart about him, no bollocks, didn't want to carry on the fight. I'm really excited for it. I think, I actually think Liam Smith wins it. I think he's just a tough man, isn't he? He's, uh, I think he's broken Liam Williams a little bit. I will see. I'm, You're not even interested. I'll watch it, but, but I'm, ho- I'm hoping it's a war. Yes, I think it will be. I just think Liam Smith will come out on top of it, but I think they're just gonna gonna fight, and that's what I like. You know, for whatever you can say about the Smith family, etc., um, they are tough people. They're tough, tough people, and Liam Smith is a tough man. I think he's got the better of Liam Williams. I think just mentally he's gonna have it, and he's in the middle of uh, half a bowl of anchovies here, so I'm gonna have to oh, fill oh, the God. silence a little bit. Sorry but it's a good card, though. It's a good card. People want to get excited, mate. Just, just have a watch of Nathan Gorman on this card as well. Who's he fighting? That German geezer that's on the Frank Warren. He's signed to Warren, isn't he? I, I don't even know who he is, really. I have no idea, but it's for, it's for some kind of... Well, I was confused by this. It's for a WBC international belt of some description. I'm like, but hasn't Dillian got one of them? Yeah, they've got about 100 of them knocking about, though, haven't they? they? Just dust them off out of the cupboard <sighs> and send them out. Um, but it's meant to be Nick Webb. I don't know why Nick Webb pulled out of it. Uh, no idea, man. Um, because he was going to get beaten. Maybe probably. reality hit home. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I wouldn't turn up for fight. I'm not going to win either. Um, Josh Taylor versus Miguel Vasquez. Good fight. Coming up. Clashes with the uh, the Smith-Williams fight, though, doesn't it? I think we're going to find out here that Josh Taylor is... Like people enjoyed the Hara Davis fight. They enjoyed him putting a stop to Hara Davis because of what we, you know, built up a nice little rivalry. Now you bring in Miguel Vasquez. Miguel Vasquez is legit. Like only a couple of years back, he was the I, can't, I think it was the IBF lightweight champion. He's moved up in weight to light welter. Um, he's a legit fighter. He's still only thirty years old. He's not washed up by any means. He's got a handful of losses on his record, but Miguel Vasquez is legit. And so it's a real fight, this. It's a step up again for Josh Taylor. It's a great development fight for Josh Taylor before you start looking at going into those world titles. This is exactly the right kind of building for a lad. But Josh Taylor is a supreme talent, and people know that about Josh Taylor. And so can you draw in the audience to watch Josh Taylor against Miguel Vasquez whilst you've got Smith versus Williams on BT? I think you're going to struggle. 
even though it's on free to air channel five i just think yeah, people have more interest in smith versus williams because they almost see it as being one-sided towards josh taylor which i don't necessarily think it is i think josh taylor will win it but it's not an easy fight terry um miguel taylor versus vasquez i think vasquez is a tough man i'm trying to think who he's been in with he might have fought Canelo in his debut, actually. He did. And I know he's fought Tim Bradley. He fought Janis Mendez, who I remember Robert Easter Jr. doing a number on at Lightweight. The guy, the guy's a, he's a useful, I don't want to say gatekeeper, because I don't know if he's a gatekeeper, but he's a useful yardstick fight for Josh Taylor. If Taylor does a number on him, then you should be looking to chase the winner of Terry Flanagan and Maurice Hooker for the 140 belt in the WBO. That's what I'd be saying. If you do a number on Vasquez, then you're looking for guys like Flanagan. There's no point in fucking around. Yeah, so he's fought the likes of Mickey Bay, Shafikov. He beat Shafikov. Like, this guy's legit. Um, I, I just, I think almost Josh Taylor is going to be the victim of his own success on Saturday night in that it perhaps doesn't get the hype it deserves and the attention it deserves because of how well he dispatched Vahara Davis. It's almost perceived as being a one-sided fight. I think Josh Taylor will come through it. As I say, it's a perfect... Like It's only his 11th professional bout. It's the perfect building fight for him. Um, it just perhaps isn't as intriguing a fight as Smith versus Williams. Um, we touched on it earlier. Um, Ortiz has been banned for a year by the WBA. Or is it Fuck just him. for the... Fuck him. We're not touching on that. Old idiot. Uh, look, I think there's a wider issue, isn't there? There's, there's this doping issue that seems to be more and more prevalent and it's reflected in the stance being taken by USADA and VADA, where when they discover a new test, they don't publicize it. They don't release literature about it. They don't do anything. What they do is they peer review it amongst the community of scientists to go, we think this test detects these metabolites. You know, here's our, here's the methodology. Here are the results. You review it and tell us if it's robust enough. That's how they caught people using Turinabol. They found um, the test that found that detected metabolites that you couldn't test for right, before. Terry, you need to explain metabolites. Okay. So when you take a steroid and the body processes it, in the chemical reaction, you get byproducts, metabolites just the things that come out of the whole process. And the way the body gets rid of those is in the urine. So you, you, that's why you have a piss test, because most, most of the sort of inorganic compounds you have, you, you generally piss out. So with something like Turinabol, this is why people used it for a long time in combat sports. It had a short window of about 15 to 20 days. So you knew you had 15 or 20 days to get rid of it. And they couldn't test for it. But they found a metabolite that stays in your system for 50 days. So we talk about spreadsheets. So when you, when you dial in your spreadsheet to say, on this date, I stop and I should be cool for the pre-fight testing regime. All of a sudden, the testers have got that thing that says, oh, no, 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 we can still detect for this. But we just haven't told you. And that's why John Jones popped. It's why Frank Mir popped. And they're both in the same camp. The Russians, and if you've seen Icarus, you'll know this, the Russians were the first to realize you can test for this. So they changed their drugs cocktail, took Turinabol out, and put Trembolone in, which you can't do the same thing for Trembolone. And interestingly enough, Trembolone is what Muhammad Ali got 
found taking, which makes you wonder, is there, you know, are there things to be asking about what's going on in Team GB? I'll leave that to the listeners to decide. So you've got that, that side of it. Then you've got the Lewis Ortiz side of it, and I call this the smoking gun side, where he's taking blood pressure medication, essentially. So the, the aim is you know, vasodilation. When you've got high blood pressure, if you, if you increase the volume of your arteries and your veins, then you reduce the pressure. So there are two reasons you'd want to do that. One, you're too heavy, so that's an issue. But number two, years of steroid abuse mean that your heart's pumping too hard, and so you need to ease the pressure that way. So taking blood pressure medication is normally an indicator that yeah. something else is happening well, as well. As a you bi- wouldn't just take as a that byproduct in of, as a It was bi- the same thing with like Meldonium. As a byproduct of the steroids... Um, no, no. The, the, height, the heart, the muscles in the heart actually get get larger, and therefore they, re- by an, by its nature, that the the ventricles in the heart get th- get thicker, like get smaller because the muscles are they getting, get smaller. Yeah. So therefore, but, but, you, that's where you get a lot of ex wrestlers and that having heart attacks because the this <laughs> is that the um, the passages in the heart are, are so small because the muscles in the heart have got so much bigger. Yeah. Well, well actually, so so two things happen which are really interesting. The heart muscles get bigger and they also get stronger. So under extreme stress, it will start to the heart will start to squeeze so hard you can rip the aorta. And that's how a lot of wrestlers and bodybuilders die. You rip the aorta because the heart's become so strong. Wow. And that's what makes it dangerous, which is why people have to be careful when abusing these types of compounds and substances. But this is why we should be worried in boxing, because and, you know, we're trying to get hold of Memo Heredia to, to do a show on this because he's the guy that understands it better than I do. It's all about tears. So let's say Martin Theobald is, you know, a professional dancer. He'll go to someone... For show. Yeah. So he'll go to someone in, in, you know, in Bedford and he'll go, look, mate, I've got 600 quid a month to spend on, on a program. And so it will be designed for you. You go, look, I can't give you anything undetectable, but here's some stuff off the shelf. Take it this way. You should be fine. When you get to that elite level, that pay-per-view level, that maybe 90,000 at Wembley level, and you can afford to spend 10 grand a month on a program, all of a sudden you're getting the stuff that's not detectable. You're getting stuff that is still going through clinical trials. So this is stuff we don't even know about yet. That's what you're getting in your cycle because you're paying someone to go and do all the literature reviews to find out what's happening. So when you say, why aren't these guys popping? That's one of the reasons. Another quite sinister reason why people aren't failing drug tests is some people have a gene where they don't excrete the metabolites, if that makes sense. So if the metabolites are the way that the drug testers know you're cheating, if your body doesn't excrete the metabolites, basically you pass a test, it doesn't matter what the hell's in you. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, but sure, that would depend on what exactly you're taking. Nope, it wouldn't. That's well, it, so, it doesn't depend on what you're taking. So what does, so what does your body g- do with those metabolites? So this is the thing or we're struggling to understand. Them, does it just so, process them differently and excrete different things? It, so, so, so take steroids, for example. Yeah. When you take a steroid, it has one pass through the liver. And that, that normally takes away the, the methylated aspect of it. So it releases the testosterone and so forth, which then comes back around the second time. And at that point, you're like, okay, this has been through the loop, it looks a bit fucked, let's get rid of it through the kidneys and through the urine. 
And that's the stuff that triggers a drugs test. Now, some people have a gene whereby they seem to manage that process more efficiently so there are fewer waste products, like a minuscule amount compared to the average person. So you never trigger a drug test. So if you're a boxing trainer, what do you do? You get all of your lads and you go, have you got the gene? I can't remember what the gene's called. Tweet me. Someone tweet me out there. I'll tell you what it's called. But if you have that gene present, you'll never fail a drugs test. Well, you'll never fail a urine drug test. You might fail the blood test, but not the urine test. Okay. Well, we'll, we will save our the rest of any ammunition for that for if and when we do a special on this subject. Um, Every, everyone tweet Memo Heredia, yeah? Tweet him at Guru Science and say, mate, you need to get on the New Age Boxing Podcast. <laughs> we need to hear what you have to say. Um, that brings us to the end. I have 20 minutes before I have to be at work. Or no, no, 20 minutes before I have to leave for work. So, with that in mind, is there anything else you wish to add? I want to give two uh, mentions. Thank you to everyone who supported the live show. We've now sold out of tickets, uh, and that's fantastic. Like We're really chuffed with that, and we look forward to doing a show for you on December the 18th. We've got things that we're planning and working on behind the scenes, um, just some visual bits and what have you. So, um, yeah. We'll... And no one, I don't want to hear about anyone reselling for 30, 40 quid a pop. I don't want to hear that. Love it away because it'll be lies. Um, <laughs> and it won't be worth it. No, don't, don't, don't pay it. Don't pay it. <laughs> I paid 60 quid for this ticket. So, I'm sorry. Is all I can say to you. <laughs> but you know, brilliant. No, no refunds. <laughs> <laughs> and th- genuine thanks to like people for uh, for supporting. Yeah, no, seriously, thank Absolutely, you. Yeah. thanks to everybody. Uh, shout out to my boy Brad Pauls, who's fighting down in Plymouth today, Sunday. He's won, hasn't he? He's won. won fourth round stoppage. Uh, moves to eight and oh, five knockouts. I think uh, tremendous talent. So and shouts out to Linus for going all the way out there. Yeah, to, to going down to Plymouth, going to support his boy alongside Terry Stewart, the coach. Um, Brad is just a phenomenal lad, really nice lad alongside Linus train uh, with Terry Stewart. Keep an eye out for it. I've retweeted the footage of it um, whilst Terry was talking about drugs because I don't understand all that shit. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, um, oh, well wow. done to Brad. Wow. <laughs> no, no, I'm trying to educate myself. By tweeting whilst you're telling us about it. <laughs> In a way. <laughs> Terry, is there anything else you wish to add? Yes. First and foremost, um, I want to say a big shout out to a young man called Daniel Aziz. Now, he signed with MTK Global. He trains out, out of Brian O'Shaughnessy's gym. So he's in the same camp as Lawrence Okoli and Umar Sadiq. Now, a lot of people won't know who Dan Aziz is, but probably the, the most deceptively hard puncher I can think of right now. Like he just a great kid in an interesting division, light heavyweight. Um, I think I either tweeted or was on Instagram about it. If you look at it, you got Dan Aziz, you got Craig Richards, you got Andre Sterling, um, you got kids in the amateurs on their way up. You got so many people coming into that light heavyweight division that is heating up nicely, just like the cruiserweights are. And we're finally gonna get some some UK level fights we can get behind and get excited about. So that's a you know, good shout out to him. Shout out to Stacey Copeland for her victory yesterday. I know she listens on occasion. Um, and then more importantly, Isaac Dogbo, who might be, and I don't know if this has been confirmed yet, might be fighting for the super bantamweight WBO interim title. So that will be really good. A lot of people won't know who Isaac Dogbo is. But Isaac Dogbo is a kid from London who 
in 2012 was smashing all these amateurs to pieces. But because of GB boxing politics, they wouldn't pick him for the GB squad. So he went and represented Ghana in the Olympics and got robbed. He probably would have meddled at 17 years old, would have meddled in the Olympics if he hadn't been robbed in that round. And has been embarrassingly shunned by British promoters. I don't understand why. This is a man who's been out to train with James Tony, boxed out of Ghana. I mean, he's done absolutely everything asked of him. And he's still only 22 years old and he gets to fight for the interim world title. So that's a really good news story. Isaac's a guy I've known since I was young. Um, big shout out to James DeGale. I was with him on Monday at the Frank Warren press conference. Actually, shout out to Frank Warren. I had a really good chat with Frank um, after he unblocked me on Twitter. Legend. We're friends Legend, again, it would seem. Yeah, no, had a great conversation. I mean, he, he, he's still he's still looking for grasses, though, so Is you he? know, I, I couldn't I couldn't have certain conversations. Looking for grass snakes. Um, and for and for anyone who has seen Daniel Dubois recently, how scarily big is that man? Fuck. Oh man, like <laughs> that's scary. But no, no, he's he's a good guy. It was good to catch up with him as well, and also Colin Hart. Uh, what a great journalist Colin Hart's been for boxing. Uh, if you ever want a real boxing conversation, just get, get five, ten minutes with Colin Hart as sat well. Next and to him, to sat next to him for two hours at the uh, Eubank-Abraham fight. It was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, top man. And shouts out to Andy, who's Umar's manager. Shaz was out there as well. Um, didn't see the fight talk, guys. I was upset, you know. It's not a press conference without the fight talk, guys. Who's there. Umar's manager? But also, Coogan was nice. I tried to persuade him to get us on the commentary for december 2nd it's looking forlorn at the moment but i think i think the streets want they want us back the fans want us back on there well yeah well we're always available because we uh i'm not i'm not available don't... that night so. all right i said well, all right fine whatever take that back I'm... slander <laughs> i'm gonna send I'm gonna get my lawyers to send you an email we'll get Brooke instead don't then. pick up bad habits from those around you mind yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right anyway like, come, is that have you finished doing your fucking monologue Terry because I'm yeah, good I, I, yeah. Right. yeah I just want to say yeah. a big thanks to and then it's like 1923 and then I've, I've got like 10 minutes <laughs> until I have to leave for work now so it's been a pleasure talking to you uh, listeners once again uh We've said our thank yous for the live show, but I just want to reiterate that is uh, a stunning success for for the pod because we really didn't think. In fact, when when we originally spoke about potentially getting a bigger place, Martin was like, "No, because <laughs> we're not going to sell out." What are you blaming me? A small place. No, I think I think you had your feet firmly on the ground. I think we've covered this ground before with with uh, you and I, but. Anyway, look, I need to go to work. So thank you very, very much for all the support. Even just downloading the podcast is supportive enough. So thank you very much. Um, eternally grateful for your listener numbers and listenership. Uh, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm checked out mentally. So get You're in just making noise now, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get in touch on, yeah. on Twitter. Thank you very much. Apologies for any sound problems we've had this week. It was now full. Uh, Renationalise the railways, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Corbin. Yeah. Um, so, yes. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care. Cheers. Cheers.